when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It's November 18th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 524. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Patrick Klepek. Hello. Renata Price. Howdy. Uh, Kato is off on assignment. So we are going to start with... uh, Well, actually, Patrick, you are wearing a Kirkland signature hoodie. I am. Uh, it looks like we picked you up from from Costco on the on the way home and brought you to our podcast. Well, uh, at Costco, I've never uh, for the many things I have purchased at the uh, at the Costco, um, it is rarely closed, despite them frequently having like some pretty decent mm-hmm. uh, clothing wear because they never they don't carry my size in stock at the store. Like I am generally a, a small and respect to Costco. Like they, t- their, their sizes tend to tend to go larger, like more broadly. Like, so I'm sitting there going through the stack of everything. Like, well, there's gotta be at least one small in here and there, and there never is. And the solution to that is apparently, as someone told me, you just order it online. So when I saw the Kirkland signature sweatshirt hoodie for 20 something dollars, I, I got, I got on, I got on it. Much, much like Patrick Klepek, Kirkland Signature is a name you can trust. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to read this letter, but now that you've you're wearing the sweatshirt, I feel like uh, <laughs> I am I am now summoned to. Okay. Remember on election day, I, we we had a little aside about that weird vote that we had in Massachusetts about like liquor licensing laws. Yeah. Uh, and I ended up voting for the option that's like, yeah, you can't just let keep letting chain stores buy up liquor licenses, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and uh, listener Mike wrote in, Hey gang, listening to Rob talk about his back and forth on his decision about liquor license, I wanted to point out something that he may not have factored in. Uh oh. While it's too late now, maybe <laughs> I can help with future alcohol related voting decisions. Wait, before, in, you, before you do this, what, what, what was the result? Uh, I think. I think my side won, actually. The side <laughs> your side for. won, but your side lost? Is that what we're about possible. to discover That's where we're going through, with this, through this uh, email? <laughs> let me see here. Massachusetts question. Well, you know what they say. You win uh, some, others, meh, not some. I, mean, I mean, this is this is the nature of, like, ballot measures and things like this. I mean. Oh, uh, they, no, yeah, the, uh, no vo- the no vote won. So we're good. You were saved? So we're good. <laughs> we are saved from because here because here are the stakes. All right, hit us. Mike explains. I live in Maryland, where we have a similar law. Something like only one store in a grocery chain can hold a liquor license. The end result is that a lot of chains don't even bother selling beer or wine, which is largely fine as mom and pop liquor stores are in abundance. But there's a very special kind of alcohol that you will lose out on if chain stores can't get a liquor license. Mm-hmm. The Kirkland brand. 
<gasps> That's right. Since most chain stores don't bother dealing with the law and opt out opt not to sell alcohol at, at all here in Maryland, I lose out on everything. Trader Joe's fine Botswin and Joseph Brow varieties? Not hey, here. It, it, Trader Trader Joe's had like their uh like in-house like whiskeys and it's got like they are dirt ass cheap. Like a big bottle of like 18 bucks. Like and it's it's higher quality than some of the cost of you know, anyway. Anyway, it's that that's that isn't a legitimate bummer. I always buy one every time oh, yeah. I'm at the Trader Joe's. Aldi's Kinru Blue and Wine Advent Calendars. <laughs> Hope you want to drive to Virginia. And perhaps more importantly to the Waypoint audience, Kirkland's fine liquor selection can't be found anywhere here. Damn. It's a big bummer because wow. most of these store exclusive brands are great. But since it's too much of a hassle to figure out which one store you want to get a license for, I haven't seen a single Trader Joe's, Aldi, or Costco in Maryland who carries their in-house brands. So a vote for mom and pop, while admirable, may end up costing you that Kirkland signature taste you love. Just something to think about. Keep up the great work. Now, Patrick, can I ask you some questions? So do you frequently purchase Kirkland signature alcohol, or is this something you've quite... okay? No, what is my your my my main Kirkland signature booze. Yeah, so my um, I don't, I have not particularly liked the Kirkland brand beers, like the, the those that have, the ones I've tried have not done anything for me. So I usually get those at a actual lo- local place. But mm-hmm. the like my go to, I have like a whole uh, you know, area full of you know, fancy uh, mostly brown brown liquors. My wife doesn't really really drink. Uh, hard alcohol uh mostly drinks wine and so it's stuff that runs the gamut of like a gift i got that was like 250 to the cheapest which is the costco stuff and the costco stuff you can get in you know <laughs> a gallon you know like the big the big boy uh and it's 18 bucks and so that is my uh not what i'm having on a friday mm-hmm. night like i'm sitting down to watch a good movie like i really want to appreciate what i'm having but if it's you know I had a hard night with the kids. It's 10 o'clock. I'm going to play a video game. Uh, I pour a little bit of the Kirkland. Um, and uh, and specifically, it doesn't have much bite to it. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't like a lot of ice in my, my brown liquor. And so I mm. like the fact that um, I, I will have, like, the one that Rob, you just made a, a face. Like, the big cube occasionally like to do, like, but, but yeah. broadly, I like the full... Like I, I like brown liquors that uh, I can just taste, uh, taste straight. Um, yeah. So can I just okay? I like. Uh, so here is an eye-opening thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was uh, at a Scottish expat bar in in Sweden, of all places. Uh, okay. There was. So <laughs> I'm just gonna fucking just gonna I take love- that one at face value and let you keep telling that story. <laughs> Like I, I love working with Rob Zachney. So, like I like had a long night there, and I expect I was like, "This is this is going to be a this is a temple to scotch," and in, indeed it was. It was it was incredible. My uh, ton of scotches that don't, you know, it's the it's it's the same things we run into with distribution laws here. But like, there's just a ton of like scotch liquor that's made that just doesn't get exported mm-hmm. or at least doesn't get exported here because uh, there's no there's no market for it right like Glenlivet is a really well-known brand they're everywhere but there's a huge distillery uh, compared to a lot of their places but anyway uh, so while I'm there this is where I sort of notice that every single like between every two stools on the bar and every table there's like a little um 
a small little pitcher with water mm-hmm. that people are using to water their whiskey. Wow. And this is where I realized, like, nobody drinks it straight or you're not supposed to. Uh, and the bartender was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, if you, you're drinking it, drinking it straight, what are we trying to prove here? Uh, it's just like, all you'll taste is the alcohol. You've really got to open it up, here? my son. And I was like, open it up. Yes. And so, like, this is the funny thing. It's, it's not, because the thing for me is I don't, like, necessarily mind. Uh, the thing I don't like about, like, hard liquor on the rocks is that I can get the cold mutes so much of the flavor that it's so just that, like, that's, that's, broad, so that's broadly my thing is I I, I drink brown liquor because I like the taste and yeah. at least in my in my my limited experience and like limited understanding is that plunking in ice cubes means that I'm I feel like I'm drinking uh, more water than especially if I paid for something a little more right. expensive again I could be wrong here maybe so, people are dumping <laughs> gallons of water into their whiskey and, and that makes it taste better I don't know that could just be habit for sure. But yeah, so the, so the, but this would be my thing. If like there's if there's ever stuff that you're like ah that like that's too much burn, that's a little too intense. Mm-hmm. It probably is, but like it's not it, it's not balanced to be like drunk straight. So you should. Oh, so, those, so yeah, to, those are the ones where I will yeah. like yeah. That is like and the, the cheaper stuff tends to um yeah I'm uh, yeah. uh Aldi is the one I have not had. Um the, the Aldi's around me do not sell. I have heard famously that the Aldi's liquors are also. Uh, quite good and quite cheap, but um, I don't think any laws are preventing that. I just have not driven fur enough with the explicit purpose of yeah. being that degenerate. Now, I would like to. I would like to acknowledge something. Yes, Patrick, th- this conversation about ice, about mm-hmm. about putting ice in whiskey. You came at Rob and I for mm-hmm. our proclaimed love of the good ice of big ice of mm-hmm. good ice of big ice and here we are months yeah, but, later uh, but is patrick's ice coming from his fridge yes but right but the but the utility of the ice is important and this is why the good ice exists is because the ice is important to the experience this is mm-hmm. why i have big I dumped ice. the ice in my water there were a couple in here earlier that is that is broadly the extent of my ice experience this is why <laughs> this house. is why i have ice orb in yes. my home, I have ice orb for whiskey, and I have big cube. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all these, all this, so much corpo talks. On they just got into the podcast. <laughs> ice, ice orb and big cube. Are they are those on the ballot as well? Do we know how those measures went? Yeah, that was question five. Uh, <laughs> Deadlock. They're they're currently in recounts. Uh, so Stupid. anyway, uh, any that we'll we'll dip back in the question bucket uh, in a in a bit. Uh, Patrick, I saw you did flag a couple news stories. There's one that's obviously near and dear to my heart. I suppose not a huge surprise, but uh, looks like more control is coming. Yes. Yeah, Remedy double dips in the news cycle, which is that if you just do a Google search for 2021, you will find that they announced Control 2 back then and then just re-announced Control. I think it was just with a, a 505. Yeah, we signed with 505, which, hey... Still signing with 505, okay. Uh, yeah, so they, yeah, they formally announced that Remedy is is making Control 2. Um, uh, it's got a bigger budget than, than the game, uh, the prior game, which makes sense. They released some concept art that seemed to suggest it was going outside. I, I can tell you what I've heard about that game is that it's going outside. Um, and that has some pretty interesting implications for what that game in that world uh, could be. Um, it does seem... It's hard to tell. Is Remedy stretched thin? Is like the first thought I have from from this news between 
Alan Wake 2, uh, which is probably, I mean, they, they've said it's going to come out sometime next year. So closer than, uh, than we think, uh, if it, if it manages to hit that schedule, uh, the uh, Max Payne one and two rem- I think they've categorized them as remakes, not remasters. Um, uh, Control two, uh, a Control multiplayer spinoff, which is a separate project, um, and then probably something else that that is not immediately coming to mind. But that's a lot for a studio that uh, you know uh, pre Control sort of reshaping what Remedy is as a studio uh, was doing things like <laughs> that. Uh, that the campaign for that shooter that mm-hmm. I can't crossfire essentially yep. to pay the bills. I mean, yeah, that, that is, I do wonder how much is going into like those remasters. Um, right. Like don't expect max Payne three. I, I just don't know. I, I, they didn't really say when they announced them, what exactly we should expect from them. But given the Alan Wake. I mean, maybe the thought is Alan Wake Two is in production as that winds down, that shifts yeah. to control pre-production, and then that that is just like they they essentially have one main main game, and then these things orbit orbit around it. That that I, I can see that making making sense as opposed to thinking these are games are being built you know in in parallel, um, which means means Control Two is probably some some ways off. Um, They've become a two team studio. It's just a matter of what is the si- what does that mean, yes, right? Like yes, what yes, is yes, what yes. is what is the size of that team, right? Is right. it is it two a AAA you know games to take three to five to years to build, or is it Ooh, they orbit exciting. around one of could those really shut just... Remedy down within five years? <laughs> oh god! <laughs> no, Alan Wake two and uh, and Control or Control two guaranteed hits. These would be the biggest games of their year. Guaranteed, yeah, obviously. Alan Wake famous fam- no way famous that. blockbuster Ev- game. Everyone loves it. Yeah, everyone, everyone adored Alan Wake. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's definitely not a game that almost sunk the studio as they tried to develop it over the course of five to seven years. Definitely I, not. I guess it's like speaking of studio sinkings, oh, did Saints Row sink Volition, or do you think this was just inevitable? Uh, yeah. So they they announced that Volition is now a subsidiary of Gearbox, which itself is a subsidiary of Embracer. Um, uh, and. Uh, let me see if I can pull up. There's a quote explaining. I mean, Embracer has said that essentially Saints Row made money, but not in a way that, that like you got up on a chair and were like, yeah, it was more like if you were looking at a balance sheet, like it was slightly positive, which is not necessarily maybe where they wanted to mm-hmm. uh, end up um, with that series. Um, uh, you know, I don't what this actually means for Volition going forward. I'm not sure. Does this mean that Volition becomes a Borderlands studio? I think it's. I think it's. I think it's within the realm of possibility. Um, I, I don't know what this means for the further independence of of uh, Volition. Uh, it it probably means an end to Saints Row. Um, it would be hard for me to imagine that they'd be working on that franchise going forward. I know that that Embracer has said uh, the Tiny Tina. Borderlands spinoff was so successful that they want to turn that into a separate franchise. So it would, I guess it wouldn't shock me if Volition like went into some, some kind of satellite studio role um, within Gearbox, which I guess if the alternative was that Volition got shut down, this is a, this is a better, better version of that. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, it's, but it's weird. Cause it's like, it's moving, it's, it's moving from deep silver to Gearbox. So I don't know like it's not like Deep Silver is shutting down, so I, I don't know what this ultimately. I don't think we. I don't think we know ultimately what that ends up meaning, other than it's uh, 
embrace her in the news again. And also just a, just another uh, studio, weird studio situation note. Um, Blizzard games are no longer going to be playable in China as of January 23rd uh, of next year. Um, that's just a, that's another weird thing that's happening because they have lost, uh, they were not able to come to a new deal uh, with their Chinese publisher, um, NetEase. Um, I think games the, going in and out of that market is fairly common. and, and, and This kind of disruption is weird. This kind of stuff is like, weird. Like, but I believe there wasn't an issue over the last couple of years where the government essentially put a stranglehold on even approving new games to make it into the system. Um, I believe that's been an issue for the last like yeah, two that, years that had so. gone on for a couple of years. That they yeah. they like had a period of being pretty uh, not never quite rubber stamp, but pretty fast. There's uh, a flow of new games yeah. coming in. If you once you kind of like got in good or were part of the process or found a, a partner and. Uh, right. it, there there was a period over COVID where uh, just new games just weren't 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 coming mm-hmm. in parallel with sort of you know like a lot of new films are not coming out in China uh, as well. The the note being though that this was um this deal had been ongoing for fifteen years uh, since two thousand and eight uh, and the inability I think they, to I think they were a, one of the earliest companies to yeah. like get their games sold over there. Um yeah and so they were unable to come to an agreement that was that uh, news came out last night. Uh, and so 23rd, yeah. but they're still releasing um, uh, the new Hearthstone expansion, the second season of Overwatch 2, uh, and the uh, Wrath- WoW the, Dragonflight. Uh, Dragonflight, okay. Yes. Are those being operated with a different partner? No. Uh, those They are releasing them temporarily, and then they're gone. And the other thing is that Dra- uh, Diablo Immortal is still... Um, you can still play Diablo Immortal because Diablo Immortal was co-published with NetEase under a different agreement from everything mm. else. Weird. Um, so Diablo Immortal is still playable. Everything else will not be uh, as of January 23rd unless they can come to a new deal. I mean, there's still ways to jump through, you know, loopholes to play what you want to play out right. there. But obviously it is easier when you don't have to, <laughs> to jump yeah. through those loopholes. Uh, and I'm sure that's more complicated with online games. So I was just looking up because I'm always anytime anytime volition moves, I'm like, mm-hmm. I wonder if anyone out there would want to make another free space game. And you know, Gearbox might with the uh, with the embrace of the Homeworld franchise. Uh, uh, gosh, free space. What, that is that pre Red Faction or is that in parallel with Red? That's Faction? pre pre. Rob, you have such a beautiful heart. It's Thank it's you. so big and it's so big and strong and and I'm so glad it's 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 here and that we have it. You it know? contains space for places exactly. like free space. Twenty some years later, I'm I mean, like, it could come back. Well, why, yeah, why not let them make a you know just slap Homeworld on it? Homeworld That's, colon free space. I mean, the, the thing is, of course, none of those people exist probably anymore at the studio. No, effectively, no. like nobody, no. like there's there there the is Saints Row no team left institutional right? like, <laughs> memory of making a space shooter. Uh, but yes, no. Somebody wants to slap a. If somebody wants to slap Homeworld on a free space type game, I am. I'm all the way in. Absolutely. <laughs> so the other thing we we meant, we alluded to this uh, the other week that that Mick Gordon, uh, composer on Doom Eternal, had published a a pretty epic accounting of the his view of how things went sour 
with uh, with that soundtrack, with working with Id, in response to uh, him feeling that he'd sort of been thrown under the bus. Well, and very specifically, uh, like the if you want to like grind down like the the shortest version of this story is that the composer of Doom, Doom Eternal, Mick Gordon had a dispute with Marty Stratton, the uh, head of uh, of of Id Software, and rather than all being dealt with privately. Uh, Marty Stratton went and re- on Reddit and wrote a post like burying Mick Gordon and uh, sent a lot of tar- like as a result fans are going to do it when you go to the Doom subreddit uh, like what's going to happen well a lot of targeted harassment uh, smearing of of Mick Gordon's uh, name and and work like regardless of of the facts of the situation and so like that's where like a, a huge amount of this tension comes from is. Lots of issues happen in private that are ugly and bad and tied up in money uh, and creative choices. Uh, what was different was this spilling onto the public in a very one-sided affair. Then just recently, but also years later, Mick Gordon outlining in a very lawyerly fashion, also very lawyerly red fashion. With a, a meticulous, <laughs> uh, meticulous selection of receipts. Like it it's, really it's is. worth re- – like, Put it's fascinating just as a document incredible. of how yes. like, game soundtracks yes. get made. Like, obviously, Correct. this is a case where it goes bad, but it's actually really eye-opening in terms of, like, one thing he centers on is early on he had a feeling that they were off on the – because he, he's done this before. He had a feeling they were off on the wrong track with how you order up a soundtrack like this. He was like mm-hmm. – he they requested final uh, music from him with a ton of the game not finished, and he was like, this is just not going to work, especially because – a mandate for this game is it has to be scored all the way through. And so sure enough, that didn't work out, but he outlines the entire series of exchanges they have where he tries to pitch a different idea. It all, it all goes South, but like it's a, it's a fascinating accounting uh, in addition to, yeah, a pretty, a pretty uh, brutal, uh, you know, belated reply to, to Marty Stratton. And then uh, Bethesda, Zenimax, its software didn't really respond in the moment. Um, and their response to this was to issue uh, a statement on Bethesda's uh, Twitter account, uh, uh, which reads as follows. Uh, the recent post by Mick Gordon both mischaracterized and misrepresented the team at its software, the development of Doom Eternal, Marty Stratton, and Trad Mossholder with one-sided and unjust account of an irreparable professional relationship. We are aware of all the details and history in this matter and unequivocally support Marty, Chad, and the team at its software. We reject the distortion of the truth and selective presentation of incomplete, quote, facts. We stand ready with full and completed documented evidence to disclose in an appropriate venue as needed. The statements posted online have incited harassment and threats of violence against Marty, Chad, and the id software team. Any threats or harassment directed toward directed towards members of our teams will be met with swift and appropriate action to protect their health and safety. Remain incredibly proud of Id's previous collaborations with Mick Gordon and ask that fans refrain from reaching conclusions based on his account and, uh, more importantly, from attacking any of the individuals mentioned on either side, including Marty, Chad, or Mick. You will notice nothing in there responding specifically to any of the points. Uh, broadly, the, 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 the thing here is we're mad that you said something and then people got mad at us um again we can't know a full accounting of the facts like this is turning into a real uh like ugly and messy sort of he said she said but uh like well actually there is no she said in this response but Bethesda it's just we're mad we don't why'd you do that to us Mick and it's it's like because you went public in the first place um 
none of this had to happen this way. But uh, then then Gordon felt the need to, to respond in the menu that they responded. And uh, just blaming it all on harassment seems like they're using that as a shield in a way that feels pretty inappropriate. There's a weird... I've seen this crop up in a few places now where... So one, obviously, like, any sort of public-facing role, people who represent companies or people who are in the public eye, deal with a higher level of just, like, nasty shit coming their way. But then also when there is something that paints targets on them or their institution, there there is a wave of, of like, greater abuse or harassment that, that does tend to follow. And it's, it's particularly bad in games, and this is this is all true. But I've also seen a trend here and elsewhere in like corporate comms i see this a bit in honestly in f1 uh social media spaces as well where there's a real quick uh reach for like the harassment aspect of stuff to shut down a discussion of something you no longer want to talk about where it's like we're not going to talk about this and we condemn harassment of anyone involved in the situation but really the operative part is we don't want to talk about this anymore and that is that is the function of the service statement yeah, and it ignores that the only reason we're in this situation at all, putting aside the behind-the-scenes negotiations, is Marty at, you know, uh, at uh, id Software publishing a public Reddit post, like, disp- you know, like going after Mick Gordon and creating the targeted harassment in the first place. So you can't sit here and go, Mick, why'd you do- wh- why are you doing this in public? This is just inciting the fans to go after the people you collaborated with, when that's what they did in the first place, I mean, like one of the first responses that pops up for me in my Twitter feed is uh, David Goldfarb, who's one of the designers uh, or the creative director on Metal Hellsinger, um, you know, a game that itself, you know, has a uh, deep touchstone with uh, the style of the similar styles of music that was in Doom Eternal, you know, and writes what I think was pretty succinctly. So go ahead and clarify or refute these points. Uh, Marty opened Pandora's box. He might as well attempt to close it. And I, I mean, like, he's right. I mean, you can't like... They're just pretending they were not complicit in how we arrive at this moment in terms of the public discourse and interaction of it. Again, like, you know, the facts that Mick lays out seem pretty compelling, but it all it is also possible that there is selective receipts to try and paint the narrative. Yeah. It's all possible. Like, absolutely. Like, this happens constantly. Like, just look at the Bayonetta situation. Um, there's a world where it's just a very good version of that. But at the end of the day... Like <laughs> Marty chose violence by going to the subreddit and doing it that way. Uh, you can't then suddenly, you know, cry foul um, when when the person you called out, you know, eventually responds. It, it's so weird that that to to, to borrow uh, Goldfarb's you know, turn of phrase that you know Marty even opened this Pandora's box in the first place, right? Like the game shift, it exists, like why are we doing this? Like, mm-hmm. why was it important to pick this fight in the first place? Uh, is, is a little bit uh, confusing, but uh, you know, obviously I guess it does tra- do- dovetail with uh, this relationship. It got very personally, very bad. Yes. And this is, this is the result, but yeah, it seems like, uh, you know, it, you know, between the lines, Bethesda doesn't want to talk, talk about this anymore. <laughs> It doesn't well, and, and then also like anymore. do it in court, right? Yeah. Like, I think I think it's like sort of like where they're drawing the line as if you know, uh, and it's not unreasonable to just say that you will respond to it formally and like by appropriate venue they mean so sue us, but uh, to issue like this lengthy yeah. statement 
is it's one thing to respond and say we you know uh we're proud of our collaborations you know but you know we'll deal with this in the appropriate venue that's one thing this is this is itself another firing back in a way that is yeah. only going to at the end of the day whoever is right Bethesda looks bad right yeah. like how how however the facts actually are if we had them all in front of us there's not a world where you come away from this situation feeling any sort of sympathy for the id software Bethesda side. You just come away saying, thinking you should just pay Mick Gordon his money. Um, and that, that shows a real mishandling and misreading of the situation from uh, their side. Well, I think I wanted to hit. It's not really, uh, not really my beat. I wish, uh, you know, caught over here as, as well. But uh, so the like Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, is apparently a disaster you're saying or at least like performance wise it's it's going very poorly it seems to be an excellent game that is a borderline unplayable in a lot of spots mm-hmm. um according to a lot of the reviews that have have dropped hopefully uh <laughs> uh if kato could be here kato could not even speak to the game because the way nintendo you don't know if you're going to get a nintendo game early um yeah. if you are waypoint um you might get it on the day of you might get it a month in advance you might get it a week before. Uh, Pokemon tends to uh, drop for us uh, the day of, so hopefully I'll be able to uh, hand a code to Kato so they'll be able to check it out over the weekend. But you know, we we mentioned this when we were discussing Bayonetta three, a game that um, itself uh, seemed to be struggling against the technical constraints of the Switch. I know Ren, one of your points was that like the art direction is not a problem. It seems frequently the restraints of the technology force the art in a certain direction that end up dragging the overall project down. Uh, yeah. This seems to be even uh, more like the the, 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 the open world Pokemon game that came out at the start of this year. Oh, I don't know how to say that. <laughs> Our, Pokemon Legends RCS. There, that one. Uh, you know, that, that game had te- technical issues, um, but was, you know, uh, one of those things. Well, hopefully they'll figure it out as they go along. Um, this one has just like really rampant, but it seems either it was rushed and, or, um, the, the switch itself is is really holding it back. Um, to to a point where you know you're seeing folks where like, well, and it's weird where like the game is really good by all accounts, but that uh, it's like, well, <laughs> you could imagine a lot of people just wondering, should I find other ways to play this exact game once it's out? Um, and once you see people starting to talk in that direction, um, you know, Nintendo might have a problem. Not not to the extent that this game won't sell exceptionally well. Uh, it will. It'll do just fine. But this is clearly becoming like a pretty important narrative across where there are reviews like in the guardian uh, essentially they said, this game's awesome. It's extremely hard to play three out of five. So like you're getting games marked down, yeah. you know, multiple uh, uh, points, um, whatever stock you put that in because the act of playing it is, is, is difficult. Um, and that's an unfortunate place to be for a game that otherwise seems pretty all right. I mean, I think the the messy thing is that like, <sighs> It, it they were in this really awkward position because like Game Freak is technically, if I remember correctly, technically not Nintendo. And the thing Correct. that seems to be the state of the Switch right now is that the Nintendo Switch uh, is perfectly technically competent for basically anything that Nintendo actually develops because they know how to actually develop for it and no one else or like people are barely able to get to that level of like technical stability uh, across the rest of the industry right this well, is and the, and the, Platinum, and the switch is happening with um, right and like you can get more out of this hardware technically 
Game Freak sure doesn't know how to fucking do it. Like, like yeah. no one knows how to do it other than Nintendo. And it seems like Nintendo's been like, it's fine because it works for us um, in, in a way that is, uh, I think, very frustrating. It has to right. be frustrating for other developers. Right. And Game Freak has never been a studio that, prior to this moment, is known for being a technical powerhouse. Their games no. have always been uh, technically pretty simple, but the gameplay was good. The creatures were cute and people were happy uh, or happy enough with that. And what's happened here is that you finally have the studio making games with the scope and ambition that people have wanted from Pokemon for literally decades. Uh, and it's being dragged down, not just in, like technical performance, but like the environments themselves are just empty of any life um, for a world that should be full of it. And most likely if, if the performance is this poor without it, imagine what it would be like if they tried to do anything uh, like that, like that dropped into the world. And I think, yes, it is probably true that Game Freak is not necessarily getting everything they can out of the machine because they are not tapping into it the same way Nintendo does. But that is true of most developers. And usually the way that works is that, well, the hardware like does some of the work for you, right? A new right. switch would make these games run right. better just as though you're putting in a new GPU, right? You a new graphics card and the game finally rock solid 60. Not saying that's what you get here, but clearly Game Freak is not able to, uh, for the games they're trying to make and the imp- importance they have for Nintendo as a brand, uh, they, they're they not able to match that. And and I'm sure Nintendo could send, well, the, one, the one thing I would push back on, Ren, is that Nintendo could just send the engineers, right? Like, the, right. They, they could have, they could parachute people in. If they're not able to make, the, these games work that are is the most important release for Nintendo this year. Right. I think that suggests something about anyone's ability to pull them off at this scale. Right. I to be clear, Patrick, I agree with you. I I am right. I am fully in the they need to release a new Switch, and I th- I've been trying to to other than just it's hard to make a new console suss out why Nintendo has spent five years being like we're not going to release a Switch Pro. Um. Because I, I, it just feels at this point increasingly a confusing decision for the company to make. Well, there's been the supply chain issues for the past right, couple right, of years right, right. in which if you wanted to launch a new Switch, they do not want to be in a Xbox or PlayStation situation where you're having um, negative financial results because you just cannot make enough of the things. It's nice that people want to buy it, but like it was not a situation where people have accused so, you know, Nintendo in the past of artificial scarcity because right. they like the things are hard to find that's not what sony and microsoft were doing during covid it was right. just like no we would really like to sell more of these and so i do think you know i, I was talking about this with jeff grubb when i guessed it on um uh uh his his, his daily news show uh monday on over on giant bomb game as mornings but it does feel like nintendo's being squeezed was being squeezed at multiple ends in which or now they're being squeezed at, at both ends where it's like the the technical stuff is getting is getting away from them, um, and but the supply chain issue stuff is 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 finally like was it was a squeeze, but it's finally releasing, and so the hope would be if those two things can be released by a new uh, you know a new model that I don't know if they'll run these games any better, but at least future games might run more well, or at least give Game Freak more runway um, to make the games that you know clearly people want to play, and this one will sell well, but it's just too bad that the platform is really. <laughs> it's such a curse. Pokemon fans have literally wanted this exact type of game for so long. <laughs> and then the monkey ball curls. And it's like, sorry, it also runs at five frames a second. Wah, right. wah. Yeah, it's uh, 
it's 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 frustrating because in part because yes this refusal to sort of even draw a map for what the succession plan is for the switch uh and instead of sort of pretense that you know it's it's, it's perfectly well it, it maybe it would be perfectly serviceable if like developers weren't to sort of stay current in the market needing to push beyond these boundaries that they can comfortably operate within but yeah that's this is where this device seems to have ended up. Uh, That's where you end up with point. these cloud versions, right? Yeah. You know, where Resident Evil Village comes to the to the Switch, but they're just not even going to bother trying to do it natively. Just, just please, like you would actually have a better experience <laughs> doing it over your crappy uh, Wi-Fi than than you would yeah. trying to play this on the Switch itself. Uh, so that about does it for news. We should take a quick break here, and then we can talk about some of the games we've been playing. Back after this. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. Uh, so one thing that Patrick and I have been playing is Fraxis's Marvel's Midnight Suns. I'm, I'm really gutted that it can't be Sid Meier's Marvel's Midnight Suns with an exclamation <laughs> point. I think that would be a, a beautiful title. Uh, but... Yeah, Patrick, you and I have both been playing a, a bit of it. I think you've put a little more time into it. You want to explain what Midnight Suns is? Because I had, you know, I think it was very easy to sort of assume when this first announced that it's like, it's XCOM it's not, with Marvel. It is, it, it's no, super not. No, it is. It is I, I, one of my first thoughts, and I, I this is not reflective of my thoughts on the game, is that XCOM fans are going to hate this. Um, and mo- mostly because if you had the impression that even by now, that with the hey, we just we're gonna take XCOM and we're gonna put Marvel characters into it. That is just they have not they have built something fundamentally different. This is Firaxis taking. I don't know if this is representative of where they want to go in the future. My guess it is. My guess is this is a preview of where they would go with an eventual XCOM three. Um, but they Midnight Suns. Uh, the I mean the the premise you know is uh, I'm not as familiar with the the monster side of Marble, but, uh, or the demon side of Marble, but Lilith, a very powerful demon is back. And th- the Marvel characters. Need somehow to stop Lilith it. has returned. Somehow Lilith has returned. And, uh, the way for is sort of, rather than having you just, um, deal with like a team of superheroes, they have created a, a new player character that <laughs> called the hunter, um, and you might be wondering, to <laughs> shut your, the fuck up. You might be wondering to your, to yourself, well, surely they have like a, like a real name and the hunter is just sort of, you know, like Craven the hunter or whatever. Like that's just part of the, the superhero name. No, there's like a very specific exchange. I don't know if it was optional or you got this one, uh, in the, in the main line, uh, Robert, someone asked like, well, I think Blade asks, uh, uh, you like, well, what is, what is your real name? The hunter. Well, okay. But. I know people call you that, but like when you were born, what did your mother name you? 
the hunter. I was like, okay, <laughs> so your name is the hunter, and that is like your blank slate character. There's a little character customization. The game has a bunch of fashion stuff that you're on, like unlocking as you, as you're playing, and that becomes sort of the player cert, not just the player certificate, but like you are the the chosen one. Like you've been resurrected from the dead. You 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 put Lilith away centuries ago, and then had to be locked away as a result. And you've been resurrected. To you were given your hunter's rest. As yeah, it were. the hunter's rest, um, which and I then, believe is a gag they make in the opening uh, <laughs> sequence. Yes, uh, and and then you you awake, you know, hundreds of years later to try and put Lilith down again uh, alongside. Um, you know, a, a lot of Marvel characters you are probably familiar with, um, and then others that, you know, if you're mostly familiar with the the, the movies, you probably have not met a bunch of these uh, uh, quite yet. But yeah, it is not a t- it is not a turn based. It is not a well, it is turn based, but it's not a grid based game. It's a it's a card game. I don't know that it's, it is as, as hardcore as, you know, a roguelike deck builder, as we often talk about here. But it is a game in which you are you are given a set of cards. Those have abilities on them. Um, and you are playing those over the course of a battle. Movement is way less important in this game. It's actually less about movement as much as it is uh, environmental interactions where like you are picking up objects and tossing them or you are taking enemies and you are tossing them into other enemies to create chain reactions. Um, the way movement even, like you can just move freely. Like you get one move turn uh, per per, uh, per turn and then... You can just keep adjusting that as as you want if you want to, like, try and set up what you might think is, like, a knockback uh, or a knockdown on a, on a next turn. But broadly, like, position is not that Im- important. Um, uh, Feels like because, the only thing you watch out for is, like, uh, AoE ex- attacks from enemies where yeah, you might, like, spread out. But, yeah. Um, but but it's, it's actually way more about, like, you'll – the game uh, above, above the each of the enemy types – um, will tell which enemy is targeting who, so you know that in advance. Like, when a turn begins, it's like, oh shit, everyone is targeting Ghost Rider, so I need to either buff them or take out the enemies that are targeting them, account for that. Um, it's interesting. I don't I don't know where I f- f- fall on it quite yet. Uh, Rob, where, where where are you at on it? Uh, so, I'm not, I'm not very far in. I think I am... So the, I guess here here's the thing. The thing I was not expecting also was how talky the game was going to be. Yeah. Like I think if it were just if it were like XCOM XCOM levels of focus on the tactical stuff, I'm not sure I would love this tactics game like so much to keep my interest. But the fact that it is also a wander around the monastery and talk to talk to all the other Marvel superheroes type game uh is intriguing to me. There, yeah, there are uh, dialogue choices. There are there is a good bat or light dark skill. Tr- I, I don't know exactly how this works yet, but basically you'll be in dialogue. Uh, you'll have conversations with folks, and then there'll be like a kind of a neutral response, and then one that has like a, a white marker and a dark marker. Right. And as you fill that up, that can unlock certain. I don't like. I don't know what that does yet. I just know that it unlocks certain things. Uh, <laughs> I do think it's interesting where, like broadly, the res- like you want to be the good guy. And so you'll hit, you know, respond with appropriately with the ones that have the light markers. But then there's this one character, uh, magic, M A G I K who does like every time you try and say the, the nice thing, they get mad at you. And so you have not, there's also a social layer to it where you are, if you're saying like, we need to save Scarlet witch. And then the character, and then the game's like, yay, plus one in the light. Um, 
Uh, or the other response can be, you know, like Scarlet Witch should have known what she was doing. Like, oh, plus one in the dark. Um, with this magic character, it's like when you were trying to be nice and say the good guy thing, uh, you also loot. They're like, that doesn't actually what, – what kind of bullshit are you like spouting at me right now? And your friendship will go down with them as a result because they don't think you're being real with them. They think <laughs> you're just spouting a bunch of bullshit, which is kind of interesting where you feel like you're saying – the quote right thing in terms of like being the hero, but actually this character is going to call you, uh, is going to, that's not how you should treat them. If you want your friendship level to go up with them, but we should be clear. You can't fuck any of these characters. I think they said that pretty early on in the, in the game's development cowards. cycle was Fucking cowards. This is not, this is not hooking up to have sex. Although there is, there is definitely romance implied. Captain blades got a blades got a thing for captain Marvel. He doesn't want to talk about it, but mm, he's got eyes on her. And, uh, I'm still I'm still not sure how that part the writing seems like pretty good. Um, it's not like I I'm disliking the conversation trees, but I'm with you, Rob. That I'm I'm kind of taken aback how much of the game is that. Um, but I think it almost has to be because the combat layer, which I do quite like, um, is snappy and more arcadey in a way that I don't know that it will have. We'll have to see, but I, I don't know that it'll have the same sort of depth that. XCOM's combat layer, like you could take everything else out of XCOM and like those combat sequences would be like fun on their own. Um, It's unclear to me right now if that would be the case with Midnight Suns. Hmm. Yeah. um, And we'll we'll talk more about it. I think next week you and I are going to be having a conversation with Jake Solomon, uh, the the designer on it. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll get more into this uh, next week, but but yeah, right now I'm, I'm sort of surprised. I saw I saw Stephen Totello posting, uh, you know, his sort of pricey on it is, uh, it's you know the Avengers meets Fire Emblem Three Houses, and that's not entirely inaccurate. Uh, no. for, for the overall vibe of vibe of what's going on, uh, you know, I, I think the, the just the last thing I would say is for how talky it is, we've talked a lot about how. Guardians of the Galaxy works in large part because, like, all that talking is, like, all just, like, S-tier, right? It's just t- terrific stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, I would say, yeah, it doesn't rise to that level. It's a very lofty level. Uh, but since we've seen it recently, this is, like, the slightly more stilted version of, like, what they pull off pretty effortlessly in Guardians. Yeah, and there's so many more characters. And, like, dynamic, like you're, you're building out an enormous roster right off the bat. And, you know, every time, at least in the part where I'm in the game you know, like four or five hours in, I'm, I'm still, I'm still tutorializing. Like I am still being introduced to things. So suggest to me, this game is extremely long and also the roster will get very big. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, there's even things where, uh, you know, I wonder if the stuff disappears on higher levels, but the game prompted me just now where, so like when the, the characters you take out with you onto a mission, that is also going to increase your friendship level with them um, as a result of them going with you. And also it opens them up for leveling up, which happens in, in d- like d- during the combat, like a character will do an action and, and level up. Um, uh, and the game is like, hey, 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 play with the characters you want to play with, especially if you're developing a social bond with them that you want to kind of like nurture. Like, if you still really love Nightcrawler or whatever, like they'll still level up, which is a, like an interesting choice to make. Whereas in XCOM, that doesn't happen, right? Like a character is left behind, a character is left behind. The whole point right, is you have to rotate through. You have to rotate through. And, you have to to rotate through. and yeah. now, now this game does have, like, I believe if 
uh, it hasn't happened to me yet, but it's been alluded to in like the interface of like, oh, hey, this is where characters go like when they need to recover between missions. So I doubt anyone dies permanently, but I think there are there will be scenarios where if a mission goes bad, you know, you could have, you know, multiple heroes unavailable for, for the upcoming mission. But it is interesting that the game is, we want you to use the full roster. Um, these are named characters. We care, we you know, we want you to care about them and bring them with. Um, and also probably there are times where uh, characters are required. And so we sort of weird if like <laughs> the character you've been ignoring the whole game because you don't really like their power set was functionally useless in a, in a fight 20 hours in. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll put more time into it. We'll, we'll chat more about it when we kind of set up our uh, Jake Solomon interview next week. Can I just can I yeah. ask one question? Yeah, Rob, you said that the the combat is very combo heavy, you said, um, or the one of you said that the combo was yeah. very combat combo heavy. It's, ch- it's you very say chain, that it's like, like, like chain, chain reactions of things are frequently right. something you're doing. Would you say that it is? Is it giving if it, is it giving the best parts of Chaos Gate to you, Rob? Like I, I when you say that, I think about the best moments in Chaos uh, with you and I playing Damon Hunters together. Uh, where you really get that, like, I am the biggest genius who's ever lived because I successfully set all of these dominoes up, uh, and then my cool super guy um, absolutely obliterated, like, no, six people. No, I, I don't no? think so. Oh. I think it's, uh, it's I, I think in part because, so the way it's working is, so you have, like, you, you have three heroes on a mission, and they'll contribute cards to your deck, and you'll, mm-hmm. you'll draw in... Uh, a random assortment uh, that will be some representation. Like you might not just draw a card for one of your heroes on a turn, by the way, they just might sort of be idling. Cause just every other card you, you drew was for, for other folks. But mm-hmm. the thing that's like in play, the way the combos would sort of work in a lot of cases is stuff like, uh, you know, a character like, this is uh, this seems particularly prevalent with the skill cards, which are like non-attack cards, but skill cards tend to do things to like buff or transform the deck in some way, uh, or, or 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 change like uh, you know outcomes for certain types of actions, and then that will affect what other characters doing with their mm-hmm. basic attacks. The other thing is basic attacks build meter that allow heroic uh, actions to take place, and so like. Right now, what I would say is like a lot of the combos I see are pretty like simple, straightforward, like uh, crowd controlling enemies to set them up for big AOE attacks or stuff like that, or leave them in proximity for for chain attacks. But it is not quite uh, as difficult to set up the combos. Uh, it's not not quite as as like rigorous as as Demon Hunters, and so it's it's a, it's a little bit more like you're just kind of juggling resources rather than uh, right. necessarily like setting the dominoes up and knocking them over. The cards are so, pretty basic at this point though. So like, yeah. that's one, one thing I'll be curious about going forward is like, you know, could you kind of stick with these mainline attack decks to kind of just get through the game if you wanted to play it that way. But then what happens once you have cards that are, you know, have longer, longer term consequences or something that you're building towards over two or three turns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Does it, does it feel more like a tactics game or more like a card game? I think maybe one of the we'll have to play more. I think one of the odd things is the answer is no. Like it it feels like it's a bit more like a card game because it is so card driven. But 
Also, I don't feel a strong connection to the deck in the way that you do in like a deck building game, for instance. Uh, so, like I like it is it is more of a card game, I would say, than a a tactics game. But also, it does not necessarily uh, ask the same level of like sculpting of like it's, it's at not least not up front that way. right like that's that's yeah. you know you, you, i mean you, and you certainly have decks right like you can you can go yeah. in and change individual characters and you know uh alter the randomness of of the the pull um but uh and it, it just feels but, like the game has such a slow on-ramp right like it is just very it is being very deliberate in terms of how it's like bringing you into to the well, game and the flip side is you know to that point because you because you can't exert as much control over your deck you'll also be like your hands can look very, very different from one another, like just turn to turn. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, I guess the the thing that it gets uh, is, yes, it doesn't necessarily have the satisfaction of, like, I've carefully crafted this, like, particular stiletto that I'm going to use again and again uh, in battle. And instead, it's much more like, how do you make this group of heroes work together? Because here's just a bunch of random shit in your hand mm. uh, that all, like... You know, it's all stuff they can do. How can you make it work together uh, so they can have a higher impact? Which is which is kind of interesting. And is uh, you know, as as like deck builders have become more and more the default, uh, sort of this creative aspect of card games can sometimes be left aside a little bit. And this is this definitely like has that and seems to be leaning into that. So, but yeah, it's a, a badge point. We're we're both very early hours. Like I've seen, I mean, I saw a, a preview on this that estimated the game is like a a 60 hour game it feels like it right it feels like the first 10 hours 60? are 60 set, setting i mean xcom is similar right like Ooh. 40 to 50 i feel like it took yeah. maybe XCOM 60 too. Well, 60 so a lot like it's, it's yeah a, it's big yes big. 60 is a lot especially with what it sounds like you are describing well but um, this is we haven't touched on any basically like yeah. any of the like exploring around side things like if you i don't yeah. think it is 60 hours of combat i think it is probably you know the ratio of story and like doing marvel shit to combat is pretty high like yes. there is there's a lot of like goofing off it it's not avengers hq but you know it's it might as well be avengers right HQ. yeah like, do you want to go is... do you want to go uh watch a movie with Doctor Strange to, you know have a little like side exchange with them like that's the thing i'm, I'm going to be curious over the long haul is like the writing is fine, good even, but so, this game is so heavily dependent on that aspect of it in a way that is such a opens the game up to a lot more risk. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, than if they had quite literally just made, hey, what if we do XCOM and then we just like add in these characters with mutant abilities? Like they could have yeah. done that, they didn't, and I, I remain. Not that I can't be convinced, but I still remain, despite having a good time so far, I'm, I remain skeptical of like, how how does this feel 15 hours from now? I don't, I don't know. Right. Because that's the thing I'm curious about is that like a talky 60 is even harder for me than like, you got to be really good. I think you can skip a lot of it though. Right. So, and then, and then that becomes a question of, well, then how good is the, the, the combat part of it? And, and, and I think to, to, to Rob's point, they're just being so, and maybe this is because they understand a broader audience is going to play this. They're going to see Marvel. And, uh, you know, <laughs> if you just, if you're unfamiliar with tactics games and you played Marvel snap and you're like, now time to play midnight suns, I think you would have a hard time. Like the game's not, 
you know, it's not hard off the bat, but it's not it's not a cakewalk either. Um, well, and it's, it's also just like conceptually, like there's a lot of like, what's this mean? Like there's a lot yes. of cars. You're like, what's this gonna do? I've been using other uh, yes, like especially early on when I'm like, okay, there are no consequences here. Stop. We'll have a card off to the side, and I'm like, I'm not really sure what the like. What does this mean? Captain Marvel's gonna draw enough cards until they have three, and then they can initiate binary mode. I don't. I don't. Okay, fine. I'll just play that card. Yeah, I don't buy. They turn into a flame version of themselves. It's Woodley mode. Yeah, <laughs> Woodley mode sounds good. But yeah, and I, I think the other part of it too is uh, it is also pretty like there's a lot of Marvel characters, like a lot mm-hmm. of Marvel characters here. Like the cast of the MCU is a fraction of what's in this game. Oh, this, this game is w- like so much more. I read a lot of comics in the eighties and nineties. Yes. And I'm, all my favorites are here. I, and so that, and that's the other weird part is I think one thing that I find a little bit like that I'm finding a bit dislocating in it is I'm like, Oh, I read a fair amount of comics, but like, this is a lot, like this is a <laughs> lot of folks and I don't really know how they all fit together, but right. like, I think there are people who do know how they all fit together and care deeply about this stuff. And like, I think more than anything that, like that is who, like if there's a prime demographic for midnight Suns, I think it's that folks, right? Yeah. Like, I, who I, are, like, I do like that. It doesn't feel beholden to the casting characters that are popular because of the films right. and that, um, even if it's taking cues from it, just like any anything would that is made under Marvel's banner these days, it does feel like they open the library up and like like you know fire is in like not an X Men in sight right like there's been a you know uh, there's no Wolverine there's no Captain America right so like yes Tony Stark and Doctor Strange are here but uh, you know th- there's a different Ghost Rider like I just like that at least up front um, even if it feels a sort of odd because I was like I don't know what my connection is to these characters and I'm not really sure of their origin stories in the game you can get those right you can go talk to everyone and start piecing that stuff together essentially you can do like rather than having a glossary or like an uh like a in-game wikipedia it's like you're getting that stuff by talking to these characters and asking if they would like to go for a stroll along the abbey um rob and maybe i do do you know how havens work do you understand what the haven thing is. No. Yeah. Okay. Is that like a one-time use? If I use a haven once, do I need to use it once per day? I was. I'm gonna need to ask Jake about this when we talk to him later today because I'm about to finish the night cycle to go to the next day, and I'm not sure. Should I invite Doctor Strange to a haven? I don't know what. I don't know what that means. There's this is what you discovered on. as a, a marriage mechanic, and you're like, oh no, I married <laughs> Doctor Strange. Oh, there's no romance, but now, but now I'm wed to this wizard. Uh, all right. So we will we'll put a pin in Marvel Midnight Suns for now. Ren, as I understand, oh, wow. you've also been playing uh, some extraction schluters. I I'm I'm deep in the extraction schluter paint um, right now. Uh, I've been playing uh, Zero Sievert, which is a top down um, stalker esque uh, extraction shooter that's single player. Uh, it is all about it is the it is the open world version of Stalker, where it's like, all right, I'm going to talk to this guy, and he's going to be like can you get me 10 pieces of meat? And you're like, yeah, sure. I'll go to the forest and get you your 10 pieces of meat, dude. Uh, you get him the 10 pieces of meat. And he's like, would you like a gun? Um, and that game feels pretty good. Honestly. Um, I think it is doing, it's pretty early and early access. Um, but it is doing cool stuff that I haven't actually really seen top down shooters do before, which is neat. Um, so for example, um, Top-down shooters and, like, twin-stick shooters as a whole 
accuracy and weapons kind of every weapon kind of ends up feeling the same because it's mm-hmm. always kind of just spinning around uh, yeah. and shooting a guy. And it doesn't feel like there's a huge um, does not feel like actually putting the crosshair over the enemy is particularly. Important no, it tends to matter time. like spread and fall off. And that's exactly like kind of it. So the way this game works is putting a crosshair directly over an enemy reduces the recoil of your weapon. And so there are moments where you're like, okay, cool. I can put my crosshair directly on this guy, reduce my recoil just a bit, and I can land these three shots versus like aiming 15 feet behind him and just being like, eh, these will probably hit. Like that is a that is a big difference in recoil where like actually taking your time to aim precisely before firing is a big deal. Um, it's a game all about sight lines. Uh, and can you see through, for example, a forest you're fighting in, right? Can you see through these trees well enough to see like the four guys over there? Um, I had one moment that felt very, very stalker-esque in the best way where I was approaching this bandit camp at night and I get there and I don't have a flashlight yet because I haven't bought a flashlight uh, and it's pitch black. I can barely see anything. And the enemies have flashlights, which means I can see them and they can't see me because I can see the beams of light coming from their flashlights. And so I am just dancing around this camp, pop out, bop, bop, bop. No one even sees me and I'm gone before the flashlights can flick over to my position. And I take out like five guys that way, right? I end up looting this like really cool, really strong uh, long range rifle that can like one or two tap most enemies. And then I go into this base uh, and again, all the lights are out. And so I go into this base, all the lights are out. And it's again, just little bursts of gunfire in these rooms, lighting them up for just a second. So I can see the enemies, I can see their flashlights and then I disappear again. Um, and going through that like little base like that is what really sold me on the game. Cause to this point I had been having the bad extraction shooter thing, mm-hmm. or, like not bad. It doesn't mean that they're bad, but like the frustrating extraction th- shooter thing happened, which is you go in, you get a little bit of stuff and then you just get fucking domed. Uh, and you're like, oh man, a bandit like really got me. Well, there goes all that shit I found. And it, the flow and rhythm of the combat hadn't clicked, but once it did, I was like, okay, cool. I am going to dismantle this base from the ground up uh, in, in the way that you do in Stalker. Um, and, and it actually like earns that comparison because you are juggling things the right way. There are interfactional conflicts uh, in the right way where you come across a group of soldiers who are opening fire on some bandits and you fire to be like, oh, let me help out these soldiers or for example, and you fire a couple of rounds and you take out the bandits, but one of your shots went wide and you hit one of the soldiers. And suddenly the whole thing falls apart and you're now dealing with a three-way fight uh, between all of these characters in this like really digestible package. Because I think that like that is what separates this from something like Stalker is that like going out in Zero Sievert and like doing a mission is pretty quick versus something like Stalker Mm. where it's like you're going to be walking for 15 fucking minutes to get to where you're going, to do your little objective. And it'll be fun. It'll be so fun to do that. You'll, you'll have a great time. But it's still a lot of time to be putting into that, like, going out into the dark, uh, getting your shit coming back. Really nice, really digestible. Uh, I'm excited to see how it develops over time. I got it as part of a bundle of it and a couple of er- other early access games, including one I think, Rob, you played. Um, Cantata? Cantanta, the mm. strategy game? I don't think I did get around. Okay, to that. this is this is a. I think this is will be a this will be a Rob game once it comes out. Um, 
apparently it's one of the best tactics games of the year. Uh, it's 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 called a grand tactics game. Um, is is how they're describing it. It's basically a mix of grand strategy and actual traditional tactics. I'll just send you a screenshot, Rob, because yeah. I feel like this will this will improve your day. Um, oh wait, no, that's just that's just a headline I wrote earlier. Um, a, in addition to this, uh, I have been playing, and I'm surprised to say this, Call of Duty Warzone Two. Uh, okay. I have never really liked Call of Duty. Um, it's never been my thing. I was a Halo kid growing up, um, pretty firmly, but. Uh, I love extraction shooters, and so I have been trying out Warzone 2's DMV mode. Uh, sorry, DMZ mode, not DMV mode. That's where you go to the... <laughs> DMV uh, mode's the real nightmare. <laughs> Call of Duty, DMV. Can you Wait. can you pass this 15-question test? Sorry, breaking. Hmm? Email in my primary inbox. Costco Please. winner. You are today's winner! <laughs> it's spam, not clicking that link. But I, I was really excited for a moment. Like, oh boy. <laughs> they heard we were me. about to, we were about to activate Kirkland's signature Rob Zachney. Uh um, so DMV night uh mode engaged. Uh yes. yeah. So basically uh it is uh a lot more PvE than I honestly expected, even by extraction shooter standards. It is a lot of PvE. I'm talking like you will take out 60 AI regularly in a mission, 60, 70, 80 AI, and like maybe two or three players. Um, but what you're doing is you're dropping into this big map. I think it is. I think it might be the same map as traditional Warzone, or it's a slightly different map. Going to this big map, there are objectives everywhere that you can go do. You can do the stalker style, find an objective, pick it up, do your little mission, uh, and then try and get out um, by extracting, by calling in a helicopter to pull you out. Or you can stay until the end of the 25-minute match. Uh, at which point there will be the final exfil where you can basically fight other players for a bunch of really good rewards. I play a lot of extraction shooters solo because I don't really have like folks to play them with because I'm, I'm, I'm uh, um, and so I have been doing the solo Warzone experience, which is actually pretty good. Uh, when it's good, it's great. Um, turns out, Call of Duty they made the guns feel good, crazy, right? Um, and the actual encounter design is pretty solid. Um, it uses the, I believe the same health system as Warzone proper, where you are basically breaking levels of armor plating off of mm-hmm. enemies. And so little grunts will go down in maybe one, two shots. If you're like landing your shots correctly and getting headshots and you can like clear out a camp pretty quickly, but if they're heavily armored, then that is going to be a fight. Um, in a way that I think is 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 really engaging. No, it's and the then, thing where like that fight is scary, not so much because the fight itself is hard, but like it will set off flags to other players. It'll set off flags to other players yeah. and you'll drain resources. Right. I I I I was the shithead recently uh, at a the I think a, a match I played a little bit before the podcast. I was the motherfucker because I heard some gunfire and I looked over to the northeast and I was like, wait a minute, I recognize. That running is not NPC running. That is player running. Uh, and I had a rifle uh, that is a marksman rifle. Uh, I didn't have a scope on it or anything because uh, I'd lost all my good gear. All mm-hmm. my good gear, gone. Because I got killed and I lost all that shit. 
so I just have this one marksman rifle and I see this player at like a hundred meters, maybe like 120. And I'm like, I think I can make that shot. I don't think that guy notices me. I can make that shot. Bop, 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 dropped. Uh, take out another player, third party their fight. And then I see their friend who has no fucking clue I'm there because they just know that their friend got dropped and they were fighting NPC. So they have no idea that they're being third partied. Um, runs out, runs across this big field. I see the, the NPCs firing. I'm firing at the NPCs to like slow them down, right? Because I'm trying to make sure that guy gets to his friend and he starts the res process. And then again, 150 meters, bop, bop, bop drop them, take their shit, uh, take the uh, level five or whatever, like the really kitted out rifle that the game starts you with. Because this is this, pre- I think this was this person's, uh, this group of people's first round. Oh, man. And I, and I think that because they had the really kitted out rifle that the game starts you with. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, bud. Well, now I have the cool, really kitted out rifle. Uh, I'm going to go about my day now. Uh, and then played through for a little bit more. And then eventually... The main, the main goal of, of the mode is to go to these strongholds where there are a, basically you have to find a stronghold key off of a random enemy. Uh, and then you go there and you fight a large group of NPCs and generally like a really strong NPC, uh, who is going to be effectively the boss uh, of that stronghold. And then in strongholds, there is a bunch of good gear and then Intel which is going to unlock more missions and more missions means you have like more ways to like unlock weapons and experience and all that other shit. Right. I think it's a really competent extraction shooter, much, much to my deep dismay. I, I, I am, I am, I am mad that I like it. Um, It's very popular. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. I know it is. And it's popular for good reason. I just also, uh, my anti call of duty bias is very strong. Uh, and, and it is, a testament to the game that it is it is overcoming it um arguably like that pipeline is the only one that's reliably churned out uh like great multiplayer shooters in the space because like feels like their rivals have like i mean battlefield effectively is not a rival at this point no and is, is, is no. a battlefield call of duty like a bears packer situation like oh we're a rival but the other no. one just implode it just implodes and doesn't really count anymore and then, like, you know, Halo is Man. fighting its own battle. Please don't remind me. Please yeah. don't remind me that my... that my. Sorry, Halo kid, but just, in the end, it. in the end, you're coming home. Well, they're, they've released Forge. I should check out Forge. I'll check out Forge for the next episode. For, yeah, for, yeah, for, yeah, but yeah. people really like Forge. Like that, yeah, no, no, no shit. I, um... But I mean, look, like, it, like extraction shooters are cool, and like I can see that being combined with, uh, with like what they got really good at doing with Warzone, uh, being really compelling. Yeah, um, and uh, it it is compelling. I'm excited to to try it out with um, other people because again, I I pretty much exclusively, with the exception of Hunt, which I play with um, uh, Matthew Galt, um, I ex- pretty much exclusively play. Uh, extraction shooters with um just solo yeah. um and so i'm really excited to actually try it out with uh with other people and see see how it changes the dynamics of fights because i think that it will it will change things significantly uh if i am you know taking on uh like being able to do those group tactics of like mm-hmm. okay swing around this corner and like not having the dreaded situation at the end of an extraction shooter where you call the plane and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. 
and then you see something in text chat or you hear something, you hear someone in proximity chat. Recently I was playing and I saw a message go into prox into, into the text chat that said, there's one more inside. And I was like, oh no, I'm inside. I'm inside building. I hope I'm not one more. Uh, and then about six seconds later, I hear a door explode open as someone shoulder checks through it, swings in. I fire two shotgun shots. I drop them, but I'm, I'm using one of these like it's a breech loader. Uh, mm -hmm. and so I, I, I breach it, uh, try to load my new next two rounds in, and then two of their friends swing oh. in directly behind. And I just get obliterated by three people. And so I managed to take out one of them, but then the other two just come in and light me the fuck up. And I am gone in an instant. Um, another favorite interaction I've had um, was when I was, uh, I parked my car up on this cliff and I, and I take out this player by shooting them out of their car. So I put a shot through the windshield of their car and they drop and then I finish them off. And then another car swings in from off screen uh, and it is a third player uh, who joins the situation, drives up the hill towards me, and I'm like firing shots into their windshield. And then I had left a car next to me. And so then they like pool ball this car down the hill. It stops them. They jump out of the car and use the crash to kill all of their momentum, jumped out of the car and just blasted me down uh, with full armor. Uh, and so I was not able to break their armor fast enough because they had like the level three armor and I just got, just got got. Um, but like it, it is doing the thing that extraction shooters are best at, which is generating stories uh, and moments like this where you're like, well, you got me, but yeah. also that was sick as fuck. That was, that was, that was rad as hell. Um, the world in which I, I, uh, that fight with those three players goes the other way. I think about it for the next several weeks. Um, like if I get that W that is like, that sells me on the game permanently. Um, and so, yeah, I think it is, uh, it's got a lot of potential. It is, it is interesting. Like the reception to Vanguard and the sales of Vanguard while still big in the way that any call of duty is felt like a real low point for the franchise. And was like, huh? Like what is the, where, where are we going with, with all this? And it's wild one year later that Modern Warfare 2 is sold like just behind Elden Ring. Yeah. And Warzone 2 uh, hits and all of a sudden call of duty is more relevant than ever. Um, it's, it's interesting. All right. Uh, so our, um, our first email comes in from Ethan. Uh, Ethan writes, Nintendo has still not released advanced. War. Is that true? They still haven't, or did they just, did I see something since no, this email came in? It's not out. The, 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 the war, the war rages on in Ukraine and thus advanced there wars. Yeah. also remains un, unreleased. I, I think at some point, even after, you know, the initial delay was clearly related to the conflict breaking out there at some point, Nintendo's schedule just got extremely busy. Like they're just, they're just refute. There just wasn't a slot for it anymore um and so my guess is that game comes out in the like in the spring roughly where it was supposed to originally but just just a year later uh but even goes on uh that is a turn-based strategy game with little tanks and artillery units that look like cute toys look up a trailer you'll see what i mean it's set in a world where the black hole army is attacking the orange star army all participants are primary color coded but the black hole characters are russian caricatures so nintendo is like this is way too hot to touch super poor taste and refused to release the game 
Activision Blizzard uh, just released Modern Warfare 2. The weapon violence is extremely realistically depicted. It's set on real Earth, features real countries, including Russia and Iran. It's selling incredible numbers. So what's wrong here? In a vacuum, Nintendo's position of don't release video games about Russian invasion fun times while that is being inflicted on Ukraine seems more than reasonable. On the other hand, the market has spoken and the market don't give a shit. (laughs) Signed, Ethan. Uh, I mean, I think it's entirely about how these two companies position themselves too. Like I, I think at, like Activision and Call of Duty have leaned in for for years into uh, evoking and playing off of things that are in the media, things that are, are are sort of making their way out of war zones, and that is kind of that has been the selling point, uh, and that's that's something they've been happy to sort of tie themselves to. I, I think. Nintendo's commitment to having a platform that's fundamentally about like escapism and like harmless fun makes them tread very carefully around mm-hmm. this stuff. Even though from this description of advanced wars, <laughs> this is, this is the definition of like maybe excessive caution. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's the case. I, I ended up kind of giving my answer in the explanation on advanced wars earlier, but I think it was a, a, I can't imagine they're doing a grand aesthetic revamping of the, this game although i suppose it also wouldn't shock me if we it came out on the other side and they'd done some sort of tweaks uh given that the conflict between russia and ukraine is unlikely to be over um anytime soon um but yes i, I think you're right uh rob i think this is a situation where nintendo is just don't want to touch it and so they won't and uh uh you know whereas you know, what, I think that the, the, one of the few bits I saw out of the Modern Warfare 2 campaign was uh, there's a situation where you're, I don't know what kind of, some sort of neighborhood you're strolling through, and there's an option to de-escalate, and you press and the, you press a button, and you take your gun out and point it at people and yell at them, and that's what the game's version of de-escalate is, uh, and it's like, again, like, that's the world this game is operating in, like, it just, it, it would have to rise to such a specific degree to derail uh, uh, Call of Duty or to, to give them any sort of pause on on releasing it. Um, and it also just makes so much money. Like So, you know, I think that's Nintendo's a little more... They have more things they can throw at the wall than Activision does. They frankly don't release that many games. And so Modern Warfare has got to get out. Uh, let's see here. We've got... So somebody wrote in uh, just echoing uh, their Akata's enthusiasm for rich streets. Uh, so just people want people want people want uh, everyone to know that that, that Kato's on to something with the uh, with what you can get for, from rich streets. Uh, Phil writes, my partner and I moved to one of those rich streets mm. last year, and I can confirm that rich people do love to throw away nice things. <laughs> the week after we moved in, we found four beautiful wooden dining room chairs Ooh. that would have cost hundreds of dollars brand new. You know those fancy metal trash cans that cost $100 at Target? Yeah. We have two, and we didn't pay a dime. Damn! Got We've two? expanded our home decor with art we like, and even a fiddly fig. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Now, in fairness, I walk through our alleys almost daily. It's the most direct route to the park during walks. But my partner, the frequency and fervor with which she brings home abandoned 
treasure could make one question how far out of her way she goes during walks. I'm sure she's not trespassing, but she's brought back flowers that looked suspiciously fresh more than one time. I'm sure that's nothing to worry about, though. So I ask you, what's the best treasure you found dumpster diving or abandoned on the curb? Phil from D.C. Mm. Well, I mean, we definitely, when I was growing up, uh, there was a Office Max. There was a Office Max next to a series of other stores, but the Office Max was the one that was the most important to the story that had this dumpster in the back, and they just threw everything in it. I mean, you you could get, like, a working printer. Like, we, like, we would go, like... We eventually, like, frequent enough, we, like, knew which dumpster to go to around the mall and other places. And spots that they weren't putting trash into, they were just putting other things. And over time, would those places realize what we were doing and put locks on their dumpsters? Yes! Increasingly over time, dumpsters came off the map because they realized a group of high school students was just pilfering them. Uh, But then the Office Max one always. And the it had this big... um, parking lot in in the back uh that we would just basically hang out in until somebody came so we'd like grab all this trash out of their dumpster and then we'd like sort through it in this like parking area in the back until someone realized what we were what we were doing um uh, one of the favorites this is you know this was just a dumb uh teenage behavior but they would put the big fluorescent lights like the big ones that look like a lightsaber when you carry them do you know it's one of the most satisfying things to break one of those they shatter into a bajillion pieces just instantly. And so, like, were we being dickheads smashing their broken lights, like, behind the office max? Yes. Was that profoundly satisfying to do? Also, yes. Also, it's very satisfying to smash. Uh, There was a dumpster not too far, like, an actual, like, or, like, not quite a landfill, but, like, I don't know what they did there, but they had big... You could go back there and break things and no one would know what you were up to, is to take... Uh, an old CRTV. It was broken. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we'd find one, like it was just broken, we'd load it up into someone's car, take it back to this area, and smash it with a baseball bat. Like, the sound that thing makes while you collide through it, ah, uh, makes my heart sing. I don't know if I've ever... I've never been a real dumpster diver. I mean, one time my neighbors left a, a mirror that's in my room, but for the most part, I've never really... I've I haven't I haven't taken much. My my roommate has suggested it, but it's it's just I don't I don't know. Some stuff is people. I don't know. I don't know. People could lick it. You know. I don't. I don't. <laughs> no, definitely has cooties. Lick. Like it's <laughs> like there's a. This is this is an obstacle for me, but I did overcome it when I found a matching set of dining room table chairs. Mm-hmm. Like I also had that experience of like, and not just that. It was made by the same uh, like manufacturer that made my love seat. And so it matches like suddenly, oh, we have a decor because it was the same type of upholstery. They're two complementary, like they're like the same material. And so now it's like, wow, this room looked really put together. Uh, And so, yeah, that was that was quite the score. Uh, Those days are those days. Those days are gone. I never had the courage of my convictions, though, to uh, go and loot the dumpsters at the colleges uh, in Boston, mm-hmm. when it was end of end of term uh, in the oh, in the summer, books? no, for all the rich kids who were like oh, just dismantling shit. their their dorms That's a good point. Uh, and just like leaving behind 
tons of nice shit because they don't mm. need it anymore. They don't want to move it. Uh, so this was like a huge part of the, the circle of life for furniture in, in like Cambridge was that yes, like stuff would be basically cast off by wealthy undergrads, make their their way to like grad students uh, and then filter their way out into the wider, the wider ecosystem uh, in Cambridge. That's really good. This is, this uh, isn't exactly related to the question brings to mind. We, we live, um, like our neighborhood is a pretty standard, like sort of like middle, middle, like slightly upper middle class, like suburban neighborhood, but we live across the street from a place where you just, they turn into little mansions. You just start adding zeros to the houses, literally right across the street. Um, and this is, uh, other than just the houses look fancier. Um, this was most acute in which, uh, this is like six, six, nine months ago. I noticed there were, um, like all these trucks going up and down the street and they were digging holes. And uh, I, I, so I like looked up one of the little construction notices and I was like, Oh my God, AT&T is putting fiber in. I'm like, can I get out of the, the Comcast monopoly? Like AT&T is also not great, but can, like, is this an option? And then I, I called and it turns out they were expanding it to the rich neighborhood and the dividing line was across the street. And so there was oh fiber God. across the street at the rich homes, but it didn't come across the street to us. So I need to, I, I need to go dig those up. Can I drag a fiber line across you, the street? You need to bribe a cable guy. Yeah. <laughs> Furious. Uh, Amelia writes, long time listener, first time emailer. I'm Emilio, a plumber from Santiago, Chile. I've been playing games since I was seven years old, and one thing that always surprises me is the way I remember the graphics of certain games. In the mid-90s, I used to eagerly await for Saturdays in the afternoon to watch a TV show about video games. It was the only way for me to access any video footage about games. The game that really caught my eye was Pitfall for the 16-bit consoles. The animation was incredible for me at the time, and the CRT TV made it look incredible. Another one a few years later was Medal of Honor Allied Assault. Uh, to my eyes, accustomed to PS1 graphics, it looked like real life. Sadly, when you see them now, they look dated in different ways. So my question is, what old game comes to your mind as an example of this? One that impressed you at the time, and even if they now look dated, you hold on to that memory of the first impression. Halo 3 ODST. The the opening Halo Three ODST was the first uh, M rated game I ever saw and like played, um, but it was also uh, the opening segment of that game in New Mombasa uh, is incredibly well lit. Uh, it is like the lighting is great. They are really getting the most out of their art design, uh, and I remember being just like completely fucking floored the first time I saw it. I think for me, like the it's it's uh, there was a time growing up where, um, you know, back in the era where video games, especially in Japan, did not immediately there was no simultaneous worldwide worldwide release. Games could come out six months, a year longer if they came out uh, at all. And the Nintendo 64 was an example of that in which Super Mario 64 and Nintendo 64 launched in Japan much earlier than uh, it came out uh, over here and there was a movie theater that we frequented that had a import store next to it. 
And I remember we were, I don't know what we were going, what movie we were going to see because it was, it didn't matter because what I, when I walked in the import store, I found that they had imported a copy of Super Mario 64, a game that I had just essentially been dreaming about and like looking at screenshots of in EGM. Uh, and it was there and they were charging money for it. Uh, you had to pay, I don't know what it was, but some amount of 10, five, $10 to get 10 minutes with Super Mario 64. And so I just have like this, real like really imprinted memory of and i've revisited that game i you know i reviewed the the collection that nintendo put out on the switch uh two years ago that included uh you know a pretty much un uh untouched mario 64 um and that game you know doesn't hold up as especially well but that memory of experiencing three dimensions in a platformer for the first time in this import store next to a movie theater it's like i will never be able to replace that memory. Um, and it's one I, it's one I treasure quite a bit. Cause it was, it was one of those, I think this is rarer and rarer in video games, but it, it, it can happen in ways big and small, but to sit and touch a control and realize, Oh, everything's about to change. Um, like to have that happen in an instant was such a cool moment. Gosh, I think diehard game club. I think that's what the import store was. They used to wow. have a magazine. That was also, I think, I think that's where the diehard magazine came out of was diehard game club. Sorry continue right no worries uh yeah i mean there's so many games that sort of fit this fit this bill uh i think for me a thing that i definitely mark the years by is sim games like because the thing is in some ways sims could be on the cutting edge of things because you they could deal they didn't have to show very much on screen like for instance there was a a series i i played it was the jane's series basically is what it was called but i remember when screenshots of this stuff came out yeah it was like it looks like holy holy hell like these these fighter jets look 100% real like they've got the correct decals markings all the stuff they just look you know, the, the, you see contrails co- coming off them. Uh, you can see little pressure waves forming on wings under high load. Uh, all every screenshot is just like, well, this is incredible. Like uh, this is this is astonishing. They, they, there's nowhere for game graphics to go. Really, it doesn't. It's not going to get better than this. And now you go, you 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 go and you look at the stuff, and it looks you know cartoonish and, and blocky, and the decal stickers are just like weird little smudges uh on the on the on the airframe and then your imagination kind of did the rest and that's sort of how i you know when i look back at racing games like indycar racing 2 i also remember that being a game where wow they perfectly depicted what indycars at the time looked like no they didn't uh (laughs) but they were able to get so much more detail than you were you, you were used to seeing and you knew the referent objects that they were using that like my memory just completely bridges the gaps between like the the the, the video game and then what was they were modeling like mm-hmm. you know I can I like it completely read as a one to one depiction of the cars I was watching like week to week uh, in IndyCar racing and then you go back to it and no blocky low res there's so many parts of the model that they just don't have the literally they don't have the polygons to spend on it so it looks like shit but i don't remember any of that uh when, when i think um, about them in the abstract can i actually oh sorry oh. can i give the inverse of this hmm? um when i was playing uh silent hill 2 recently that game is 
extremely beautiful. Um, there are moments in Silent Hill 2 that, like, just the texture work and is is so phenomenal that it felt like I was looking at something from, at, at the very least, uh, the 360 era. It was a. I was I was just thrilled. Um, it, there, it's it's such a beautiful game, uh, and that is the inverse of the. Oh, it's not as good as I I remember it, and instead just being absolutely flabbergasted by how fucking good that game looks. I love I love I love to hear that though. It's it's so good to have the inverse happen. Um, our. All right, I just got to kick out of this. So, so Gabe, remember I talked about like one of my little treats is popcorn. Mm-hmm. Gabe is trying to is out here trying to change our lives. Hey, Waypoint Dexter's our lives, maybe my life. <laughs> the recent popcorn talk activated my conditioning. I had to reach out to inform you of the majesty of the Whirly Pop. A specialized corn-popping pot that you use on the stove. Sure, you can pop popcorn in virtually any pan. But the Whirly Pop is essentially a stovetop consumer version of the popcorn poppers used by movie theaters. It's essentially a pot with a hinged lid and a rotating crank that you use to constantly stir the popcorn kernels so they don't burn as they pop. My family, popcorn enthusiasts all, exclusively... Our stovetop popcorn gr- exclusively ate stovetop popcorn growing up, and as a result, I can't stand either microwave popcorn. Can't stand or most is such is that's that, most you know, of the pre-pop that's such stuff. A strong statement. Although I do love that flavor blasted cheddar stuff. A popper is twenty to thirty dollars, which is a worthwhile investment. Thirty-seven twenty-four. So because popcorn kernels themselves are so cheap, for around forty dollars total, you can get a popper a pound of popcorn kernels and a thing of coconut oil and have hot movie theater style popcorn whenever you want for months. And since, since it's not pre-portioned, you can pop exactly as much corn as you want. It takes a little longer than the microwave and you do have to stand there turning the crank the whole time, but I will gladly exchange four minutes of four minutes of time for delicious popcorn. I can't even pretend this is a question. I just wanted to evangelize my popcorn snobbery. Fuck turfs, fuck capitalism, go home and eat popcorn. Patrick, you were looking this up. Are you intrigued? Does this look like a gadget, a gizmo that you could be convinced no. to to buy? No, I'm not going to sit there and turn it for four minutes, but I can imagine Rob doing it. I'm going to buy one. Yes. Yeah. No, how much are they? 40? 40 dollars. Yeah. Oh, yeah, easy. Not even not even going to think about it. So here's here's the other thing. Because uh, this, I do, I may need something like this because I have <laughs> I may found need something like this is because is, I have found uh, an Achilles yeah. heel for the induction range. Okay, for whatever reason, it can't do popcorn well at all, uh, and it, it, like it's not. There's something going on. I, I I don't know what it is, but like tons of popcorn kernels do not pop. The failure rate is like enormously high. Uh, when doing it in the induction range, it never was with the radiant heat one, and obviously, like doing it over flame is 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 really easy. So something's going on, but maybe this will solve that issue with that sort of the the cranking and the you know keeping the kernels from burning, so you can always make sure that you know things are 
coming back into contact with heat. I think that sounds I think that sounds great. I'm all in. Give me give me the biggest whirly pop they make. Wow, took a lot of convincing. You turn a crank and the, you get popcorn. All right, take here's my forty dollars. All right. If it doesn't work, it's only forty dollars. Uh-huh. But it's forty dollars uh-huh. to see if I could if I could be like living better. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when you put it that way, Rob, I mean, it'd be criminal not to buy it. Uh, <laughs> wait, there's one I had marked out here. Okay. Uh, last question. And we're a bit late to this, but never, never mind. Dear Waydacted, I'm starting a new job on November 1st. It's a small law firm of less than 10 people, all with their own offices. How soon can I ask my new boss, if it's okay, to bring my dog to work with me? What's the best way to go about it? My dog is a corgi, loves people, doesn't bark, and doesn't have accidents. Love y'all. Love the community. Fuck capitalism. Go home. And sincerely, Razgris 2 and Stein, the corgi. Uh, for background, I've worked from home for the past five years since we adopted him when he was a little under two years old. I don't like the idea of leaving him home uh, for a full work day or paying someone to only walk him once during lunch. I feel like this is a long shot, to be honest. Really? Like, if, this is yeah. not, if this is not a service dog, yeah. this is a very long shot. Because, like, one, there's some people who just don't like dogs or are uncomfortable around them. And Might be like, allergic. Those like people me. could be in your office. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, like, this, this, this complication is not something people want. Uh, two, I am sure Stein's a very good corgi. I have not met the corgi who would not be an agent of chaos uh, in an office environment. Like... Literally, I have a couple neighbors who have a very nice corgi. Seems very sweet, very very well mannered. Uh, destroyed literally thousands of dollars of furniture within like uh, like three months of being adopted because they're clever, they're smart, and they're they can be enormously destructive. So like they combine destructiveness with ability to mask it and like conceal what they are doing you do not discover until they've they've inflicted devastation what and even on a more Uh, basic level like how does your how does your dog act in crowds of people um and your version of uh well they're very good does that mean they're like constantly going and begging for attention from everybody around them but they're very nice about it i'm sorry I don't don't need that when I'm working. I don't need that when I'm working. Allergies, allergies much though. I would love it. Right, right. Yeah, um, it's it's like fundamentally different when a dog like is in a house or apartment or whatever with you and is broadly calm because it's you and that's the only source of distraction. Like it's so easy to imagine that going not like awry where they're even not causing damage or shitting all over the place, but just generally are looking for attention because why wouldn't they like there's lots of people to get pets from um and i could just see that 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 being said if you have to try and i understand you probably do have to try i would start out by being like oh no the dog daycare is closed can i bring my dog in for the afternoon trial run yeah Try some trial runs. Do some good, like see see how it goes. Be open to the idea that yeah, it might don't not work yeah out, don't ask like, for, like yeah th- I think that is the right route to go because then you'll know off the bat whether it's not possible at all right and they'll be like sorry you're mm-hmm. gonna have to figure out something else then okay 
you haven't asked, can this dog live here full time with me while I work? Yeah. <laughs> which, uh, which might rub your new employers the wrong way as an ask. Because I've seen the like I've seen the office dog thing work out, but this was mm-hmm. a dog that was enormously well trained and mostly like curled up on a dog bed next to its owner for the entire workday. When I worked at when I worked at one up, uh, Kathleen Sanders had a uh, a dog, uh, Minnie, rest in peace, just passed away uh, a little recently. Yeah. Um, uh, enormously well trained, just like sat in her lap in a bag all day long, and so yeah. Uh, that that part worked just like just fine, and I, I sat across from Kathleen. And despite being allergic, uh, it wasn't a big deal because it was a tiny dog. Sat in a ba- bag all day was just a d- delight to be around. Um, but I feel like that is that's like a, that's a tall order to ask a dog. Could you just not do anything for for eight hours? <laughs> I mean, I don't. I've seen I've I've seen I've seen good office dogs. I've 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 interacted with plenty of good office dogs. I think um, the climbing gym I go to actually has a dog. You got the climbing gym dog. You got the bodega cat. I think. I think it's. I think you those are different work. And those are different environments, though. Like, That's I'd be true. delighted to meet an animal at a climbing place versus like I'm at my desk and I'm I have like three thousand words to write. <laughs> uh, the other thing, though, but I do. I am sympathetic to the like. It's like I'm worried my dog's just going to fully be get bored that. and miserable. Yes. yes, and this is what like dog daycares are worth looking into. Uh, it is. It is worth seeing about getting them in one uh, that they like and making that like sort of a regular part of their, their life. It's, it's expensive, mm-hmm. uh, but it, but like, but it's not like sending a kid to daycare. Expensive. <laughs> no, it's, no, like, it's not that expensive. It's, I can tell you like, what my bill is on that. <laughs> yeah. We're talking like hundreds a month, uh, hundreds a month, not like thousands. Mm-hmm. So that would be my recommendation is if it does not seem like you will be able to, get a full-time office dog arrangement look like scout some daycares in your area try it out uh and and you'll feel a lot better about well, especially a lot of those hang out um, work. a lot of those places have cameras and stuff right stuff you can like log into and like see what your dog yeah. is up to it's not you know uh not every place has that but i know a lot of my friends so when they've got when they like board their dog or even if it's not daycare it's like there's a way for them to check on how they're doing if that's going to give you anxiety all right, that will do it for today's episode. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, on Facebook and YouTube, Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Patrick, where are you? At Patrick Klopik. Ren. At Ren or Raven. You can check out what we've published on waypoint.vice.com. Uh, please read my review of Pentiment. Uh, and thanks to our Waypoint Plus listeners, we've been able to have a bunch of fun streams lately. Uh, Motorsports Monday continues apace. We've had some, uh, well, okay, we didn't have any epic wins. We had some epic podiums uh, that I think we can all be very proud of. Uh, Patrick's been uh, continuing his his run in Cyberpunk. Uh, and I don't know what our schedule looks like for Thanksgiving week. There's probably be some disruptions uh, coming up, but uh, stay, stay tuned. Uh, hopefully we'll have some fun stuff coming up. All that is made possible uh, by Waypoint Plus. Uh, let's see. This week, Waypoint Plus listeners are going to be able to hear us talking about Hail Caesar. That's already out. Uh, let's do it right now. Yeah, it's already it's already in our Plus listeners' feeds. And next week, they'll be able to listen able to listen to hear the manhunting 
episode on Miami Vice uh, with, with Alex and Dia. If that sounds good or you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. Uh, if you want to show not just support, but zeal, go to waypointgeneralstore.com and buy some of our fine Waypoint merch. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. For now, we're calling time on this week. We will talk to you again next week. Till then, fuck capitalism. Go home. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.